Hello! It's really nice to be back for the third season. I'm really, really excited about this one. I just feel like I've grown so much. I hope you guys feel like you have too. These people are just amazing. Um, this is an amazing episode if you want to chill out, zen, feel inspired. If you're not sleeping as much lately, a good podcast always helps me. Uh, and this is 1000% one of those. Victoria Lloyd Barlow is, she's just so wonderful. Like so many of the things she said, I was like writing down while listening to this back. I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. And her book, All the Little Bird Hearts is long listed for the Booker Prize. She is the first autistic person long listed for the Booker Prize or like nominated at all. So yeah, you are in for a treat when you read it, because you should. Without further ado, let's start the season. Amazing. So I literally read the whole book yesterday, which is, you know, obviously a testament to how readable it is. Like, I was so surprised. Not that the book's readable, but that, like, I could finish a whole book in, like, an evening. No, that's good going. Good for you. Well done. <laughs> no, I meant your book's like that easy to read. But, yeah, like... in one in one go. That's that's quite a challenge for a book, isn't it? In one go. Oh my god, yeah. Like it didn't arrive in the post. They just like left a note and I was like, Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you calling from? Do you live in the Lake District? No, I live near Margate, down in oh, Kent. Okay. Yeah, on the coast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can actually see the sea over there from my window oh wow do you write and like look at the sea or do you write somewhere else um I I do find it quite inspiring I I just I find it really relaxing to be near the water and to get out and see the sea regularly yeah Yeah, it definitely um has an effect on me that sounds like very Victorian you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah maybe (laughs) In, in a really good way yeah the art in Margate is that like kind of your bag or um yeah there's obviously the lovely art gallery down on the front um so yeah we go there quite a lot yeah it's a really nice place to live yeah why did you set it in the Lake District I know you've been asked that before but I just find it so interesting um I mean obviously it's a really beautiful part of the world um I think my main reason for setting it there is that I wanted Sunday's mother to have an attachment to the landscape and I wanted it to be an attachment that kind of excelled the way she felt about Sunday herself. So I wanted the mother to have this interest outside her family, outside the home that kind of overshadowed her love for her family and the Lake District because it's such an imposing and particular kind of landscape. I felt like that was a a really good place for Sunday's mum to really fall in love with that landscape. Um, so that's why I set it in the Lake District. And the reason I wanted Sunday's mother to have that feeling for something outside the family is that I wanted her and Sunday to have this shared thing, which Sunday doesn't ever really quite grasp, which is that they both have a love for something abstract outside their family, outside their home, and it's more than an interest. It's almost like an obsession. 
And I love that you said it, you said it in the 80s, right? Because that's when sort of an idea of autism is developing, but not really. So people are starting to like notice, but not in the way that we were today where we're like, oh, they have autism. That's fine. Like, yeah. 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 I think um, the, the period setting was definitely the first part of my starting to write because I knew that I wanted Sunday to be sort of outside the expectations and the tropes that are used around autism today. I wanted her to be able to experience and understand herself in a way that was entirely about her and not to be influenced by the the terminology around autism today and the expectations, um, the masculinization of autism. I really wanted her to have that sort of blank canvas to understand it through and not to adhere to external ideas I think a lot of current understanding about autism and writing about autism is done by neurotypical people and it's very industry-based and that naturally makes it something very different than it is from the inside so I think autistic people often feel quite distanced from that industry of autism because their day-to-day experience is so profoundly different that's why I find autistic writers always write the most effectively on the condition for me. Um, and I can always relate to their experience much more than I can the sort of standard writing on the condition. Um, and that's why it was so important for me to write it outside that context. Also, the fact that Sunday is not um, university educated, not broadly travelled, she wouldn't have that status that could challenge that openly. So I felt it's better for her to just avoid that whole industry and just be entirely original and authentic. The masculinization is such an interesting point because I found myself imagining Sunday as quite like a masculine figure and then I stopped and I was like because you do draw attention to like her feminine physique or like you know what she's wearing these kind of things that suddenly make the reader think hold on well I'm why am I seeing her like that and I guess you're right that it's so often we imagine autistic people as men and also autistic women as kind of existing in masculinity how do you navigate that how did you carve out a new space well, I think a lot of the ideas about autism being a male condition come from the idea that it's an overly masculine brain that somehow produces autistic behaviours. Um, that's something that the industry really seemed to have fastened onto. And I think then that sort of leaks into the literary and cultural narrative on autism. Um, so when we see autistic characters in fiction they tend to be male um often young boys but very rarely do we see women um and autism and it feels like a real gap to me and that's something I was really keen to address I I do think Sunday is slightly androgynous and I think that's partly because a lot I think a lot of what's considered femininity is fairly performative and Sunday hasn't really, you know, attended that class. She doesn't really um, know or concern herself with those ideas. So 
in a way, I see her as being free from those expectations rather than being masculine, just not being harnessed to those societal expectations. And then because she is slightly outside society in some ways, um, I think there's a, there's a freedom to that as well as an isolation. So I didn't want her experiences to be negative. I wanted to portray the challenges of them. So yes, she is isolated to some degree, but there is also some freedoms that come with that, with not feeling that you need to conform or impress people. And so she has both sides, the isolation, but also some freedoms. Um, and that's part of her androgyny. I think that's part of how she expresses that. Clothing is such an interesting aspect of the book. The the detail that you write about clothing is like so, uh, I don't know what the word is, like it's so um, satisfying to read and just like really delightful. And now that you've said that, I am thinking about Vita's outfits and then Dolly's sort of changing in clothing and how they become so restrictive and Sunday kind of spots it and is like questioning that. What was your, what were your intentions with the clothing? I think um, because I wanted to convey Sunday's sensory differences without really, you know, titling it this chapter is about sensory difference. I wanted it to be a bit more nuanced. And I think the sort of the tactile nature of clothes is one of the ways that Sunday really encounters the world. And also her levels of comfort. So where Vita is quite a performative character, she's quite conscious about the effect she's having. Sunday is completely the opposite and is very focused on being comfortable. And because her comfort levels are constantly challenged just by being in the world, I think she's always looking to find comfort and to explore those tactile elements of the world. So she wants to touch Vita's clothes to understand how Vita can wear those things and still walk around and manage things. Um, and it's a real difference between them. So where Vita chooses things entirely for their aesthetic, Sunday is much more about how it feels to her because lots of things are kind of on the edge of painful for Sunday. So she's got to constantly try and maintain some level of comfort where Vita yeah, it's purely appearance. And that says something about their characters as well as about their neurotypical or atypical stance as well. The sensory differences is such a, like a, not the word is like, it's a real insight into the power of language, the way that you do it. Because like you were saying before, so often it's kind of explained in a very, you know, psychological, literal sense where it's like, you know, people feel sensory differences, it's uncomfortable, da, 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 and it's not, you don't get that insight. And you like keep that across the book, like the very beginning when she talks about how it feels to eat the the different foods that aren't sort of what she is comfortable with on each day, was just so like enlightening as someone neurotypical reading it. What did you want to kind of convey when, you, when you're 
giving um, Sunday's perspective, what was important to you and how did you kind of ground that um, inside a sense of what was going on for her? Um, it was an interesting one because I don't think there's a lot of fiction that addresses this. Um, so it felt new to me when I was writing it because I hadn't, there wasn't a canon that I could look to for that. It was a brand new thing. Um, I think because previous writing on autism in literature tends to focus on children and boys who are autistic and it's written by neurotypical people so it's not from inside the condition so there isn't that same sort of psychological exploration so when I came to write it it did feel new and that was actually a real gift I mean I'd love there to be a lot more literature written by autistic people but at the moment it doesn't really exist um so, so in some ways that was challenging, but in some ways that was really exciting as well. Um, and I think Sunday doesn't really understand herself, particularly at the beginning of the novel. I think at the end she comes to understand herself much more, but she kind of comes to understand herself through Vita and through her opposite. And I wanted to demonstrate some of the ways the condition is a challenge to live with, but also to celebrate some of the interior joys of the condition. Um, and that was, I think that was the most challenging aspect of writing it because I didn't want to underplay the challenges and sort of sell this lie that it's really marvelous and it's all a gift. Because it's really, you know, for anyone with autism, there are definitely challenges and difficulties, but equally, there are really incredible interior experiences that you have with autism. Um, so when you can meet your sensory needs and when things are really comfortable um, around you and, you know, with having your chosen interests, those are all incredible things. And I really wanted to get that across because I think neurotypical writers have never really done that. They've They've written more about overcoming autism in some way or resolving it in some way but I wanted Sunday to be exactly as autistic because obviously we are throughout our lives um I wanted her to be exactly as autistic at the end as she was at the beginning of the novel um but for herself to come to that understanding and acceptance that she hadn't before um and that's that's what I was aiming for was to show that kind of progression that she has um and to to honestly document parts of the condition because it's so easy to write it just one way you know make it only tragic or write it the other way and make it only a gift and it's it's both of those and neither of those so I think that's something I was I felt really compelled to address and to try and demonstrate with the book. What role did um, love play in that because it, it feels like when you're reading it that really Sunday sort of discovering not how she's wired how she thinks or autism but just sort of a, a more like a greater self-conviction in in the love she has as a mother and understanding other people through that yeah again I think uh Vita is the key to that in that before Sunday meets Vita 
um, her new neighbour, she is so self-critical of herself and criticised by others and by herself. So she has a fairly low opinion of herself in the beginning. And then she meets Vita, who is superficially everything she aspires to be. So she manages her relationships very well. She's very charming. Everyone loves her. Um, and so initially, Sunday really looks up to Vita. But then I think, um, without introducing any spoilers, um, she comes to see that actually Vita is fairly superficial. And that is something you could never accuse Sunday of being. So with all her flaws and challenges, she's not superficial. And she really means what she says and she means what she feels. And when she discovers Vita isn't that, it's actually quite hard to be all those things, to be incredibly charming um, and beguiling. And then very convicted to your own opinions. Um, I think she begins to understand she's actually got qualities that Vita hasn't got. So she's, you know, I think she comes to understand herself and be more comfortable with herself because of that knowledge. It's when she doesn't speak ill of her neighbours. I really like that bit. It's like a, a difference between the characters and their thought processes because, like, Vita assumes people have gone is, you know, or even when they're in earshot, is kind of saying stuff about them that's, like, not very polite. And then Sunday is already, you know, taking time to learn excellent manners so that then she can make sure she's at least somewhat working within that. That book, actually, that she reads is really interesting. What was it about that book in particular that you wanted to pick? Is it a fictional one? Is it a real one? The etiquette book or the, yeah, the etiquette Italian? Um no, it was something I'd, yeah, pretty much just made up in my head. Um, and I I think everyone has those kind of internal voices that scold us for various things. And I wanted it to function kind of like that, like that inner voice, but then also to be something she could physically go and consult with as well. So I wanted the writer to be more than just a kind of faceless author. I wanted her to be, you know, Lady Ogilvy and be very present so that the reader could understand her as well. Um, but I think lots of people can relate to that idea of having that voice in your head that's kind of telling you what you should and shouldn't do and having that in a in a real book for Sunday just felt like um, a good way to show the reader how much that mattered to Sunday and how much she was actively trying to be more social, to understand people better. And even though Etiquette Book is probably not the way to do that, it was just a way to show the reader that Sunday was very engaged with improving that side of herself and to show her vulnerability to Vita because Vita could write that Etiquette Book and, you know, she knows all those things already. She's born knowing those things. So a, different, a way to show difference between her and Vita as well. There's a, I'm really fascinated with um, transactional analysis, like therapy, and they have this concept of you have your parent, your adult and your child, and then they all relate differently depending on like your personality type and all that kind of thing. And within the parent dynamic, you have uh, like a critical parent, which is like kind of like Sunday's mother, 
and then you have a nurturing parent and hearing you talk about that that makes me think you know the etiquette book is it Edith something Edith Ogilvy yeah yeah it's it comes across actually like she's the the nurturing parent that sort of says to Sunday like this is the correct way to do it this is helpful to you don't do this like yeah it's it's like a really nice relationship actually that she has with this sort of long distant semi-Victorian woman it reads so real as well it does read like um you know those BBC programs where they go yeah. back in time and <laughs> they read these like books and everything and well Sunday so- Sunday does have that obvious gap in her life where she didn't have um a relationship with her mother that was satisfying I think it kind of makes her vulnerable to those other family dynamics in other places and that's part of the reason she falls so easily into um the Vita and Wallow dynamic because they offer her that kind of feeling of family and because there's that gap in her life it's the way that she yeah is made vulnerable to their influences I think yeah yeah they're very um unsettling figures Rollo's quite interesting because he he's the kind of person who is going along with things he doesn't necessarily agree with but at what point does that not matter did you kind of have him set up in contrast to Sunday in that sense yeah I didn't want him to focus in any way as a moral center I wanted him to be I wanted the book to be about the women mm-hmm. and the men in the book so there's uh Sunday's father is in a bit and then Rollo are are there but they're very much they be, they behave according to the way their women their wives behave um, and they're both devoted husbands but not particularly strong characters of their own they're much more about keeping the peace and I wanted to repeat the dynamic between Vita and Rollo that Sunday saw with her own parents where her father was very devoted to her mother and therefore wouldn't ever step in and protect Sunday because the those wives came first and then any protective presence or moral centre just wasn't going to happen there. So I think as well it was important that Sunday didn't look to Rollo for for help or clarity on what was happening. I think he was just all about his wife, all about Vita and keeping her happy. And Sunday had to find her own way through rather than, um, you know, a man kind of saving anybody. Yeah, not at all. The the men are really interesting in the book. The, The dynamic she has with the king is also really interesting in how you how you write about it from Sunday's perspective is a really kind of a unique insight because she's not given all the words that people might use to describe the dynamic, but is very aware that it didn't work, that it wasn't good for her and that he isn't this charming person that some people still think he is. Why did you include that relationship in the book? Um, I think... I wanted to show a kind of precedent for the effect Vita and Rollo have on Sunday and the way 
she can be so charmed by someone who is fairly superficial. Um, so I wanted to show that vulnerability she has to that because that's what she perceives herself as missing is that charm. So it's the thing she falls for in other people. Um, and I think as well for Sunday, she has to live alongside those people to understand that if a fairy godmother came down and gave her the quality of charm, it wouldn't necessarily improve her life. So the qualities she has aren't necessarily compatible with being super charming. And she needs to hold on to those qualities and appreciate them rather than long for the things other people have. So the king and Vita and Rollo and to some degree Dolly, they all have that quality, that presence, but it doesn't always make them happy and it certainly doesn't make them better people in any way. So I think I wanted her to to first learn that with the king, but then need to live through it again with Vita and Rollo to fully get the lesson. I spoke to Jacqueline Crooks um, for the podcast like really recently and she talked about being charming and having charisma and she as like a very dangerous and overappreciated aspect of people and her characters are very like it's a very different book but she goes into that kind of yeah the the dangers of people who are charming rather than saying what they actually mean or what they actually think and kind of the mystery that people can bring is not necessarily so intriguing compared to like with the king Sunday's quite good at sort of not knowing everything about him but understanding him very well or like Phyllis yeah interesting addition as someone who's kind of like yeah I I don't like that man yeah I think um in the book charm is kind of paired with that idea of really being able to read people very well um and that's something Sunday really struggles with is uh reading people and their intentions and I think Vitor and Rollo and the King would all meet somebody and read them and know what they want and give them that or that version of themselves. Um, there's in the secret history. I know you haven't read it because I heard um, an interview with you where you said you haven't read the secret history. I'm which, honored. How could you not have read the secret history? I know. It's the only book you should read. I did a classics degree, so I think I need to wait a little bit. Okay, that's, then, like, that's a good reason. There are similarities with things that happened. Like friends would be like, oh, yeah, that's kind of like the secret history. And I'd be like, ooh. Well, it is something for you to look forward to. I'm jealous yeah. that you now get to read it for the first time when you read it because it's that good. Oh, you're actually but, sending it to me. Okay. Oh, it's just great. Anyway, in the secret history, there's a character called Julian who is um, marvelous in every way when told through the protagonist's eyes. So he's very good at understanding people. He's super intelligent and kind of manipulative. Um, but there's a there's a part in that book where he he's talking about his life, and one of his students says to him, um, "Do people surprise you much?" And Julian kind of crumples and suddenly isn't so handsome anymore. And looks a bit sad. I mean, I'm paraphrasing horribly here, but he basically says that people are so disappointing because they're so predictable. 
And that always seems so, so genuinely sad to me. And I think for Sunday, because people are such a mad surprise every day, they're so unpredictable. She never knows what anyone's going to do. That's, that kind of makes life really interesting, even though it's quite exhausting. It's actually kind of exciting that you can't read people, you can't predict people. You know, for Sunday, that's that's a different way of living than if you're Vito Rollo and you kind of have this terrible understanding of people where they just don't surprise you anymore. And like Julian in Secret History, he has this great, exotic, exciting life um, and he's travelled everywhere and met everyone. But he's kind of disappointed with life because it's too easy for him and he knows people and he understands human nature. Um, and I think that's Vitor and Rollo as well, that they're kind of always disappointed because people don't surprise them and they just do what Vitor and Rollo want them to do and they react how they know they're going to react. Whereas for Sunday, people are incredible and mad and strange and peculiar all the time. And that's actually a lot more interesting. And perhaps it's better for Sunday to actually be smaller in the world, but always more surprised by it than to sort of feel that she rules over it all and controls it all, which is I'm moving so on so sorry. fun. There's a book at the door. They have to go <laughs> get it. I'll be back in a second. Oh, it wasn't just any book at the door. It's what was book. it? It's my book. Yes. <laughs> I missed it yesterday. And now it's here. It's in, there was another book. I'm getting so many books at the moment because I've got like a bunch of interviews and some of them like yours aren't out for like for a while. But um, yeah, I was so annoyed yesterday that they left a note and now I actually have... A there it is. <laughs> oh, it's gorgeous. I was yeah. on a um, PDF before. So it was like reading like uni work or something. It's hard actually to read it, isn't it, on the screen? Don't you think it's different on the yeah, screen? Yeah, also scrolling. Mm. You take in information so differently. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, pick up exactly where you were before. I was transfixed. I just heard a little more. Uh, yeah. So really, I was just telling you to read Secret History in different ways. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think it's that that sense of just like Julian in Secret History who can control people and understand people very well. It sounds like a great skill, but actually doesn't make for the best experience. And I think Sunday sees Rita and Rollo and how they manipulate people and how it's so easy for them and understands that actually maybe reading people and then using that to your advantage isn't the way forward, isn't something she wants to be able to do. Yeah, I was feeling that when I read the book because that I knew a group that was kind of like secret history vibes and it was like competitive reading people and to the point where you almost no longer understood, you know, because if you break people down to their intentions, you can't, you miss out so much of like who they are and you'd much rather ask them something directly about what they think or how they feel and then you get a different answer even if it's not maybe what you would read of them 
it's way more interesting mm, definitely yeah and Sunday's perspective on the world is just I mean you, you've literally managed to write a whole novel about it that is really interesting thank you I don't know if you've read any of Claire Fuller's work um, yes I've read Unsettled Ground yes it it feels not the same but there was like this really like lovely similarity to that perspective that I really loved like when I was reading it oh that's a good comparison I like that yeah she writes beautifully I know I really loved feeling that similar sense of outsider characters who you really feel are very immediately insider with like there's a lot of autistic representations that you kind of the whole time you're like oh how quirky you know or like even when you're reading their perspective or you're watching with them you don't really feel aligned with them like but with Sunday you almost you don't cringe I think maybe is that that's what I mean is like when things are happening that she doesn't understand or that she doesn't have the right response for you don't think oh how awkward she has got it wrong you think why is that woman talking about her daughter to her I think because you haven't got that layer of judgment because it's not written by a neurotypical person. You're not feeling that it's written from the outside looking in because that's the perspective we're used to having on autistic characters is that it's a writer observing someone and then writing it. That's always kind of a layer of othering and difference where when it's an authentic identity writing it, I feel there's less of that outside looking in yeah. because yeah, I'm writing an authentic experience. And I think until, until there's enough of a canon of disabled writers and autistic writers, until that exists, we really need more authentic voices first. And then once that is established, that's when it's time to start looking to other writers to create those characters as well. But I feel at the beginning of a movement, you need authentic voices to kind of create that voice so that it's not a judgment voice. It's not an othering voice. And that's what we've had in the past. But I feel like the time for authentic writers is at the beginning of that canon. And mm-hmm. I think that's what's really needed now is for those writers to come in and fill that space and in some ways just overwrite the characters that neurotypical fiction has created for us on autism. So I think that's got to be a bit dismantled before we get the real, the real voices there. And it's so important for people to feel that representation when they're reading. Like, I don't know what that experience would be reading your book as someone who's neurotypical but I imagine you've had a lot of feedback that's very relieved I suppose that they're getting to read you know I mean everyone works differently but something that they can kind of relate to and understand and feel I guess yeah yeah, comforted by and kind of cozy I I really hope so it's definitely something that um I look to when I'm reading about autism although there isn't much fiction by autistic writers currently there is 
a lot of non-fiction by autistic writers and I've always found that incredibly helpful like really inspiring and educational and, and just really helpful to me I've been to um um a couple of writers events where autistic readers have come up and talked to me about the book and that was really moving because there were um women who would quote parts to me from the book that had really resonated with them and just telling me about their experiences really um and that's been amazing really amazing because i really hoped that autistic readers would find something in it that resonated with them even if it wasn't exactly the same as their own experience that they would find it spoke to them in some way about their experience um so hearing about that's amazing that's like really satisfying i'm definitely gonna say to my friends that they should read it I've oh thank you friend i've been friends with him for years and he would always do stuff that we'd be like oh why have you you know like he would cancel the last minute or he would like you know stay too long or like something like that and just be like oh what what okay whatever and then we were at a party and then we were like waiting for the bus home and he was like oh I'm uh I really like this like new friend of mine because we're both autistic so it's like really interesting to talk about and I was like I've known you for years and you haven't said that and I was I suddenly understood him so much better but I was also like I'm so sorry that I didn't understand what that was beforehand so now like if he doesn't reply to a text I'm not like you know oh he's just like ignoring me or whatever I'm like yeah that's fine but I think great it's great that you understand him that way and that you responded that way because I think for a lot of people that's not the response that we get um that's why I did think for a long time before I disclosed my autism on the the book. Um, but I thought it was important to be really visible because I was getting that opportunity. But it, I think a lot of people do really misunderstand the condition. And so people that didn't know I was autistic before, but know now, um, some people will talk really slowly to me, always yeah. use my name. You can really see some people just it blows their mind and they don't know how to respond to you afterwards. So it's great for your friend that he he spoke to you that way and you had that response because that's so helpful just to think it's the same person, but to have a greater level of understanding for them, that's ideal. I think, like you talked about in the book with academia and how there there are a lot of autistic people in academia, I think it does maybe become a more normalised space. Yeah. yeah I think that is one space in which yeah it's so easy to be autistic because people are so understanding and they the main thing they understand is that it doesn't impact your intelligence and your abilities um and that's really what you want everyone to know from the beginning so yeah I think academia is a great place for that to be able to talk about it openly I think that's where I got my confidence was during my PhD where it was so easy at university to talk about it and I could start a conference talk by disclosing it and nothing changed because everyone's reaction to me was the same and 
yeah university is definitely a great a great place to disclose but the rest of the world not so much but university perfect <laughs> it was really interesting to me that that one of the things that my friend told me was that he's very perceptive of people but in a really um I would say I didn't notice a difference but now that I'm like oh okay I understand so you can't necessarily read like social settings but he can walk away from meeting someone and say like oh there's a lot of layers to that person or like oh I I don't really trust them or you know like it's really interesting he's very um emotionally perceptive and I feel like people forget that as well like they think you know autism is a, a one note thing that kind of yeah I think because a lot of us are very detail orientated and we have to really rely on our analytical and thinking skills to decode situations so in a social situation where a neurotypical person would be doing that work unconsciously and easily most autistic people would be doing it in a very conscious way um in a sort of self-protective way because that process isn't happening organically for them so they need to kind of study and that's why social context can be so exhausting because as an autistic person you're generally having to work so much harder than the neurotypical people who are just intuitively dealing with the changes and the people and the behaviors as an autistic person we're typically really thinking that through and analyzing comparing it to previous social encounters we've had and those expectations and outcomes. So sometimes working that much harder can make us better at those things, but the the kind of intellectual load is quite high. Yeah, yeah. He definitely gets quite tired and then it's like, or if it's one-on-one, he can talk for genuinely hours. Yes, because then it's just that one person you're focusing on. There's no external noise and you can just focus and that's so much easier. But it's the group settings or the one-to-ones where there's a lot of background noise or background people that, um, yeah, just make things very challenging. What did you do your PhD on? It was actually, um, I was planning to do Italian studies and I had my PhD kind of chapters ready to go and then I thought about this book and I did a creative writing PhD instead and that's um part of my thesis was my book so I that I didn't write it with the aim of writing a book I was writing a project for my PhD and then when I'd finished it um I got an agent and that's how it became a book but it wasn't um written as a book if you see what I mean it just became a book that's so cool oh my god like and then it gets picked up by like the literal book of rise based off of your that's very interesting I talked to Claire and Carmel McMahon about their creative writing courses and they all seem to find it really beneficial would you recommend that for people listening um I mean, I met a student the other day who was autistic, who was just beginning her PhD. And what I would recommend is um, autistic people going into academia because we're just kind of built for it. And that's what I said to her, that we're just, um, 
which is kind of constructed for academia because we're so often, many of us are so focused, so genuinely inspired and enthused about our chosen subjects. Like so many autistic people are really expert on the, whatever their interest is. So we're kind of perfect as PhD students. And when I was studying, so I actually left school without any qualifications. And then I did an access course, a degree when my youngest children started school. Then I stayed on for a master's and went to a PhD. But at school, I wasn't at all one of those students. I just didn't think it was for me at all that I'd have a qualification in my life. But as an adult, it just felt like the most natural thing in the world. So what I would choose to do if I could is another PhD now and then another one at the end of that because I just love the structure of it so much. The Italian studies part obviously comes through in the book and is maybe my favourite part of the book. Like it's so irritating when the characters are like, oh, you know, there she goes again. Or like, Ooh. you know, like, oh, well, that's nice. Because like, it's such a, they're all facts that like, you just don't come across in the day to day, but they're really interesting. Like the the phrases, we don't have phrases for those things in English. But Sunday has this whole, well, you have this whole list of ones that like, I love that so much. What brought you to Sicily and that Sicilian culture? Um, I mean, I have no connection with Italy, no familial connection, or it's just uh, been a massive interest of mine for several years. Um, And it is, like with many autistic people, it just informs my daily life. So um, my children would attest to the fact that whatever the situation, I have got an Italian phrase to fix it. (laughs) Um, So whatever we're talking about, I can bring it around to, yes, Southern Italian folklore. Um, They're very used to it. But I think um, hopefully autistic people who read the book, that would resonate with them because um, part of what my PhD thesis was about is the way that our chosen interest kind of harness us to the world. So they're actually a kind of route in to everyday life is through our chosen interest. So the kind of stereotype of an autistic person with a strong interest is that it alienates him from the world and that it takes them away because it's a way of avoiding real life. But actually, in so many ways, it's actually a way of connecting with other people and understanding them better. So it's kind of a way to translate is through our chosen interest. And I hope the way Sunday uses hers does demonstrate that to readers. That's such an interesting point about academia as well, because people, you know, their chosen subjects are how they how they relate to the world and how they link it up. So no wonder people thrive in those environments where they can, you know, teach people about how this subject actually links to the world and to other people, even if they don't realise it. I think as part of being an autistic person is that you are creative by necessity because you're always having to find ways to translate and ways to connect where they're not coming naturally. 
So I think that makes us creative just to survive. We're creative because we're always having to find new approaches um, that, that neurotypical people just don't need to look for because those things happen organically for them. The really interesting kind of perspective that you come at this book with is autism as a mother. Because normally we see it the other way around where there's a parent like Sunday's mother who doesn't understand what's happening or who's trying or something like that. I like love reading that dynamic because I feel like it's potentially something I've never come across before in, in media. Yeah, it's definitely a gap that I was always looking for resources on and never really found anything on. And um, I think because autism is so much discussed and presented in terms of juveniles that we don't really understand it as an adult concept. So I think as an autistic adult, either you're in need of full-time support in people's minds, or you've somehow grown out of it or resolved it. Um, and, you know, the, the latter just doesn't happen. You're as autistic at the end of your life as you were at the beginning. And it's strange to me that there isn't more representation of that. Mm. Especially when so many people are autistic. Like, I know loads of people in my life who are. And to be aware that they're not represented properly, or they're represented through a neurotypical lens is a really I don't know I guess it's like a disappointing aspect of where the industries are at the moment so it's really amazing I mean I think because the general attitude and the beliefs about autism are so limited and so restricted I can see why it's difficult for publishers to be seeking out autistic writers um because readers have certain expectations of us and our limitations so I'm really grateful to be given the opportunity to write about it and to be open about myself as well um because I can see that's a challenge for some publishers but I think the more publishers can be open to that you know the more we can challenge those attitudes that make being published difficult for autistic writers in the first place so I think it's really important what are the kind of challenges to being an autistic writer? I think that before someone picks up my book and, and before someone reads it or wants to read it, they're already they're already so influenced by the existing attitudes towards autism and those ones that have been built entirely by neurotypical theorists. Um, and that's difficult because it means they come to the book or they don't even come to the book because of those expectations. But if they come to the book, I've somehow got to dismantle those beliefs before they can really engage with and understand Sunday because she doesn't meet those criteria that we've been told autism is for so long. So I think it's that trying to rebuild that very dominant cultural narrative on autism. Um, I think that's the most challenging thing as an autistic writer is that you're already, there's this kind of weight on you 
of untruths that you have to address without visibly addressing them in your narrative. Um, I think that's one of the most challenging things. Is there an extent to which, as well, you're almost trying to sell, because there's a degree of neurotypical people don't necessarily understand why they need to understand autism sometimes like there's so much pressure on like a narrative of autistic people understanding neurotypical people does did that play into you writing the book yeah I think it did um I I didn't want to um make Sunday quirky and appealing and like eccentric in a very feminine and attractive way I like a kind of pixie woman I wanted her to be you know complicated and real and get things wrong and do things wrong and I think that's a lot to ask of a reader that they engage and care about somebody who isn't meeting their expectations of an autistic woman um but I didn't want to sell her out and make her acceptable um so I hope I hope readers can yeah can come to Sunday and accept her on her own terms because that's kind of the journey she's on herself so it was important that I didn't mask Sunday in that way that we often as autistic women mask in everyday life I wanted Sunday to be more real and problematic um, and still for the reader to hope things turn out for her in the end. And that's what you want your readers to feel like, that by the end you want them to be kind of rooting for her a bit. And it's interesting that there's never any, you have no desire of her to leave where she is. Like you want the narrative to stay with her and to stay with her community. I really like that. Like, even when Dolly is kind of looking for something beyond that, you do think, oh, that's really good for you. But like, this is like a really nice place to be. I found that so comforting to read. Kind of like Unsettled Ground, actually. Yeah, I'm glad that came across because that's definitely something I wanted for Sunday. But I think um, as an autistic person, her her day-to-day life is so unpredictable and exciting in some ways that she doesn't need to go more than a mile out of her village to be experiencing a lot every day. And that's kind of about the intensity of the condition. So I do feel like as autistic people, we can experience a lot in one room. We don't need to go very far and things are crazy and unpredictable. And also she has her really in, in like enriched inner life that's, you know, going to southern italian folklore and relating to all these things yeah and i think that's why it's important for people to be writing because it is such an interior condition such an interior experience that neurotypicals who are very familiar with the condition and very educated on the condition still have no understanding of that interior experience and the intensity of that um that's really why I think it's so important to have autistic voices in literature. What non-fiction did you love reading? Um, in terms of autism or yeah, generally? Yeah. When you were talking about, or any, 
but yeah autism yeah um I read a lot of academic papers when I was at university and I had access to the whole world's library that was the best time because any tiny interaction between autism and another subject you could just look it up and have a paper delivered to you that was super revealing and interesting and you could read other PhDs that had been written and I think yeah that was really helpful to me in coming to really understand the condition um just understand the way it interacts with other subjects um so yeah definitely being at university you just had access to all that stuff that was great I love that what's your favorite southern Italian phrase I quite like one that um, appears in the book, which is early ripe, early rotten, because it's just so dark. And so that's one of the ones I like. Um, what's another one? The other one that appears in the book, um, where someone says, the tongue doesn't have bones, but the tongue can break bones. I love that because... Um, also, when Sunday uses those um, terms, she uses them so earnestly, you know, without humour or irony. She's just telling you these things she's learned that are like, you know, tools for life. So I like the way Sunday really feels she's giving someone a gift when she tells them those things. I like that as well. There's like, um, there's so much irony in sort of British culture but especially in that kind of relationship with the art sometimes or with kind of you know like when people say stuff in French and then they say it really like I don't know there's just like something about it that's a little bit tiring because you actually want to hear someone's excitement about what they're saying and what they're talking yeah. about and yeah she uses the phrases in the way that I guess they would be used by the people in Italy because they wouldn't be meaning it like, you know, with this like thick layer of irony. They would be like, this is yeah. the phrase we use. For this. It would be like, yeah, this is a life hack that I'm giving you. So carry yeah. it around and remember it. It will change your life. I think that's one of the great things about spending time with other autistic people. Um, when I was at university, there was an autistic social group and staff and lecturers all came along. And it was a really nice group. And we would often just talk about our chosen interests. And the level of enthusiasm, I mean, it's really infectious when someone cares about a subject so deeply. So whatever someone is interested in, when they're talking about it with such genuine passion, enthusiasm, it's just infectious. You just can't help but listen and be enthralled by it, whatever the subject is. It makes being around autistic friends of mine really um, enjoyable because... I am neurotypical but I also have like an intense focus on subjects and I really love that but some of my friends from home like kind of like with Sunday they'll be a bit like that's really nice and they're like no I'm trying to tell you that this is like you know fundamental to the way that we understand X or Y and they're like "Uh uh-huh uh-huh but then like autistic friends are like and what about this and what about that and you're like and then you learn so much yeah yeah 
I love the phrase with um what's the one the dog um in the water is it like a dog in that's been burned by hot water will is afraid of cold water or something oh yeah a dog that's burned I can't even remember it now I think I'd probably be able to find it I think, yeah you have to look it up for me yeah I think yeah I think you know, it's like something like a dog that's burned in hot water is also afraid of cold or something it's when isn't it when she's talking about Annabelle or something but yeah I love that one <laughs> is it so it works so well like you can pull that out in conversation and then I mean that would have, yeah that could apply to anything couldn't it that's the great thing about it yeah 100% <laughs> I always ask but what were your favorite kind of artistic like you know literary film anything music influences when you were writing the book um I was kind of writing in a void because it was during um Covid lockdown (laughs) and I basically spent the first two years of my PhD really having fun and going to conferences and getting in the library and just it's just a brilliant time and then there was the lockdown and I used that to just write it up so um I literally just had to write 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 and I wasn't really doing much else except my children were also all at home so there were four of them at home studying as well so there wasn't loads of times for books or films in that time but um after I wrote the book I saw the film uh, All My Friends Hate Me and the humour in that really spoke to me and I would like to think there's some of that humour in my book because it's very much about class and class difference and privilege and the humour in it's quite dark. I don't know if you've seen it, but... Um, I haven't, but I remember. Oh my goodness, it's so it funny. It's so funny. Goodbye. Yeah, I just love that. And I thought, I watched it after I'd written the book, but I thought maybe some of that humour... Certainly some of the themes in the film were similar to my book. Um, and in terms of reading, um, I really like mid-century uh, fiction. I love Shirley Jackson and Penelope Mortimer. Um, so I read, reread them a lot. And I love Edith Wharton. Um, and I read her novels a lot. I do a lot of rereading. So for me to read new fiction, it has to be something that I really, really am excited about. Um, like Henry James. I love David Sedaris for, I mean, he's just such a funny writer. So um, I read him a lot. And I read uh, The Secret History regularly. Like I probably read it every year. Um, and... I suppose contemporary fiction. I like Maggie O'Farrell. I've never read any of her books, but... Oh, well, I really recommend her. Yeah, Yeah. she's great. So I read her. Apart from that, I I tend to do a lot of rereading, and I read a lot of non-fiction too. Have you read the most? Because I love rereading as well. I would say maybe The House of Mirth by Edith Wharton. 
The Age of Innocence. Maybe The Age of Innocence. Yeah, maybe The Age of Innocence. Um, and Shirley Jackson's short stories. I read them really regularly. I probably could just say some of those by heart because I know them so well. I used to be able to do that with Little Women. I, I read oh, it so many That's times. a great book. That's a great yeah, book. Yeah, I think when I was younger, I just, it's that world building that makes you want to go back to these books and reread. Yeah, that's and, exactly yeah. what it does, isn't it? Yeah, my gran loves rereading and she always says that it's like, it's you're visiting people, which I think is just like so gorgeous. Yeah, so it's kind of comforting. Yeah, she can uh, walk around places in her mind that she hasn't been to. So if you say, oh, I was like, I went to this city, she's like, oh, and there's this street and there's this, because she rereads certain books that have these like really cool kind of um, details about the area. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, like I love that. What kind of writer do you think you're becoming now that you've written this amazing book? Do you feel like you've changed? Because I guess the COVID pandemic was such a, weird time for everyone yeah um I think I don't know honestly I feel more wary of writing now because when I was writing this book I was writing it for my supervisor and I wasn't at all writing it to go into the world so I think I was thinking kind of academically and creatively, but I wasn't guarded at all. Um, but now it's out in the world, it's different. And people react to it so differently. And I see how people react to my autism disclosure so differently. So it has, I feel like it's made me a bit more guarded, maybe. So I'm glad that I wrote this in a place where I was just really focused on the writing and what I was trying to achieve, but I wasn't thinking about how it would meet the world and how people would meet it. Um, so yeah, I suppose, I don't know, I'd like to say I'm super inspired and a better writer or something like that. But I think honestly, I'm probably, I probably just feel more wary about writing. I really love the group BTS and they like, I guess like they're one of my lenses where they have a phrase for everything or they have like a something for everything. And one of them, J-Hope, he talked about how when you're first starting out, when you're first creating, that is like the most enjoyable space. And you've got to like cling to that because afterwards you're kind of like, mm -hmm. like you said, you're way more guarded and you're like, oh, you've got something to like, I guess it feels like you have something to live up to sometimes. Yeah, I'm not sure I feel that expectation. I think no. just like you say, when you're writing, it's your own world that you've created and everything is straight orders entirely how you like it because you're in control of that world. Mm -hmm. um, and then when it goes out, you're not in charge of that so much. I think it's why I liked studying so much, why I liked the PhD environment so much. I think that's why I'm drawn to doing another one because when you're inside it, it's like you're discovering all these things and recording them for people, for the future. But um, 
normally with a PhD, wouldn't then it be read by a few people, a few hundred people at best. Um, but with a book, it has a wider audience and they're not all coming to your thesis in the same way that they would as an academic thesis. So I think that's why the writing part is so enjoyable because it's just you and the writing and you feel like you're recording important things. That does sound like a much nicer way to live though. Like as a lifestyle that Mm. you enjoy the writing, you enjoy the research and then everything else is secondary. It's like a nice way to be. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait for your next book, though. Oh, thank you. I think this one, the community building, the world building in it is amazing. Like, you understand the people kind of immediately. Like, you're like, oh, what's where's Phyllis? When's, when's she coming back? <laughs> I'm glad you think that because my son is a super fantasy and science fiction fan. And he's <laughs> always talking about world building. Um, so I can now tell him that someone actually thinks my book has got some good world building going on. He'll be very impressed. <laughs> None of my children have read my book. <laughs> well, tell him I thought the dragons were really cool. Or something like that. Just like really throw something in. <laughs> he, he'll read it then if there's dragons. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I loved your book so much. Oh, thanks so much. And this has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank I you. I really loved it. Yeah, it was lovely to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. I hope you enjoy the rest of your Saturday in by the sunny seaside. Is it sunny with you guys? Do you know, it's a bit grey today, but I like it best when it's rain, a bit rainy and a bit grey because the sea looks the most impressive that way. So, yeah, it's quite grey outside, but it's beautiful. I hope you get some good waves. You know, it's grey yes. and you see the water. Yeah, the crashing oh. waves are a good thing. They're never, they never yeah. let me down. Well... Talk to you soon and yes, yes, please keep writing. It's just amazing. Thank you. Thanks for your time this morning. Likewise. And I hope you're off to read Secret History now. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I've cleared my calendar. <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> this very second. I'm gonna steal my money. <laughs> I hope you feel very relaxed now. So I'm gonna keep the tone the exact same while I tell you how excited I am that we have way more musicians this time and the next few episodes are going to be an absolute riot so be prepared if you like some more of the zen ones we also have just really really amazing authors um coming up and I just yeah I've enjoyed it so much which I think you can tell So have a wonderful rest of your day slash night and I will see you very, very soon. Oh, and go buy all the little bird hearts or see if it's on some sort of audio platform and then you will have many good nights sleep from now on. Right, talk to you later.